Hello, hello, my love. How are you? Hello, darling. I'm wonderful now that I'm talking to you and I see your beautiful face. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing great. It always makes me so happy when I see and you, because you guys can see because it's an audio video, but Amy always puts her her two hands to her face and she smiles when she sees me. It's my favorite. I do like a little, <laughs> like a little kid. I'm like really excited and I have to like, I like, I have to contain my smile with my hands somehow. Cause otherwise like it, it feels too big. It feels like it's too much. <laughs> That's the level of joy I get when I see Monique. Yay. Likewise. Yay. Um, my week was okay. Big thing is that yesterday was my New York anniversary. <gasps> Fuck yes. 14 years. Happy New York anniversary, girl. Thank you. I'm official. AF. You are official. That's some, you put in your time. I did. That's a long sentence, but (laughs) you did it. It's a long sentence, but I definitely enjoy it. I love that. I always feel weird when people are like, oh, how long have you been in New York? And then I have to do the whole like, well, I was here for like two years and then I moved away and then I came back. So I guess (laughs) four and a half. Oh, that's it? Yeah. Oh. And then everyone is very not impressed at all. They're like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> So you're still basically a Florida girl. And I'm like, I will always be a Florida girl. Yeah. You can take the girl out of Florida, but you cannot take the Florida out of the girl. I get that. I was in Miami recently and someone asked me, so are you moving back? And it's like, what? No. No, I, I don't think so. I think 14 years, that's a commitment, you know? Yes, that is a commitment. Nope. That's longer than most people's relationships, Monique. 10,000%. Yes. Much longer than probably all of my relationships combined. Let's be serious. Yes. Because New York is the love of my life. What can I say? Get it. I get it. Yeah. When I was working in Florida recently and I told people that I lived in New York, everyone was like super confused. Oh. They were like, why? You're supposed to do do it the opposite way. No. And I was like, no. No. Really? Have you been to New York? It's amazing. First of all. It's amazing. Yes. And Secondly, as I say a lot, I'm much cuter in New York because I don't have to deal with the humidity. 10,000%. Mm-hmm. And the heat, which I don't do well in at all. Style my hair. Yes. Yep. Pea coats. Like, I look fucking great in a coat and boots. You do. You really do. Accessories. Like, I love winter accessories. Like, I hate all of that. I definitely, the, <laughs> as, I, <laughs> I, as I mentioned many times, I hate the cold. Yeah, you definitely love the warmer months. Yeah. I'm a warmer gal. So like, I'm like, Don't enjoy it, but I'll rock it. Hurry the fuck up spring. But uh, no, I'm just miserable in the winter. But the, that humidity is killer. It's tough. It's brutal. I hate it. I, this week, got to go to the movies. Oh, shit. Like the actual movie theater twice. Considering it's been for fucking ever since I've done that, that's really an accomplishment for me. First of all, I have to say I went to Alamo Draft House because fuck yes, I was just gonna ask. I literally don't go anywhere else no. now, Monique. Like no. it's amazing. It's amazing. Of course it is. Yeah. Once you go, you can't ever have a regular movie experience. Never. No. Never. No. Mm-hmm. Literally, I went to see The Lost City. That was the first one we went to see, which was very funny and wonderful. That Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum kind of rom com. I don't even know of the existence of this. The premise reminds me a little bit of Romancing the Stone, where it's like she's the romance writer and he's her cover model. And Aha. Oh, I see. Why would you be traveling with your cover model? Daniel Radcliffe is like the villainy type. And she actually like in her book, it's actually true. Like whatever her archaeological 
story is like actually has some basis in reality. And he kidnaps her to get her to find this lost city. I see. And then he comes to rescue her, her cover model, Channing Tatum. Yes, because every model can do that. Yes, of course. (laughs) I mean, because he's Channing Tatum, obviously. Obviously. But yeah, people started talking like in the first two minutes of the movie and they fucking shut that shit down. Yes. Down immediately. I was like, and this is why I come to Alamo Draft House. Mm -hmm. Correct. Because there's no talking and there's no phones. No talking, no texting. Mm -mm. You got one warning, then you get thrown the fuck out. out. And they literally said, they're like, this is your warning. You do it again, you're done. And I was like, yes. Hello. Like, hi. I'm like, I'll like Twitter paid it now. Especially since in the last couple of years, I think quarantine, like people have forgotten how to behave, behave in polite society. Yeah. Agreed. That's why we need places like Alamo Draft House. Agreed. They're doing the Lord's work. They are doing the Lord's work. So while The Lost City was good, my recommendation, if you are going to go see a movie, mm-hmm. is going to be everything, everywhere, all at once. Don't know this either. <gasps> I haven't seen any subway posters for it. <laughs> part of me wants to tell you to watch the trailer and part of me doesn't. It's like a, a multiverse sort of indie story. Uh-huh. And it is so fucking good. It's so fucking funny. It's very well done. The stunts in it are amazing. Like the visual effects are great. The story's amazing. Like it's shot beautifully. Mm. I honestly like cannot say enough good things about it. I thought it was absolutely fantastic and I enjoyed the entire movie. Amazing. Has Jamie Lee Curtis in it and Michelle Yeoh. Yeah, I believe is how you say her last name. And it also has from Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. He's now a man, but the it was the boy who played Short Round? Short Round, yes. Get the fuck out. Good for him. Getting work. Ki Hua Kwan, I believe is how you say his name. Ah, uh, so it's so amazing. It was uh, just a delight, Monique, honestly. I love it. Cool. Yeah. I'm going to try to check that out. Yes. If anyone wants a good, just like all around entertaining movie mm. that is also like really touching and beautiful as well, fucking go for it. I love that. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Highly recommend. I went to the Broadway last week. What'd you see on Broadway? See, you're so classy. <laughs> it, it doesn't hurt that I live like in the theater district. Yeah, that's true. So that's, you know, that helps a lot. It does. But I saw MJ the musical for the second time because it's phenomenal. It's a Michael Jackson musical and there's no reason it should be good, but it's actually phenomenal. I mean, but it has all Michael Jackson songs, I would assume. So of course course it's like entertaining yeah but there's a difference between entertaining and actually phenomenal and it's phenomenal really okay yeah years ago because sometimes you know we have to travel for work and i used to have to travel to vegas a couple times for work and i would ask you know like the uber drivers like okay what's a show i should see here and like the (laughs) the windows of time that i have available that i'm not working and i was like oh you have to see the the michael jackson cirque show you have to see one so the last time I went to Vegas, I saw it and I was like, mm, I really didn't enjoy this show. It was kind of uncomfortable because there wasn't a single black person in the cast. Okay. Yeah. So that was very awkward. And I just like, I didn't, it was fine. I thought the dancing was good, but I really didn't enjoy it. So I expected this to kind of be on that, in that vein. Okay. But it's not, it's not at all. It's phenomenal. And uh, the guy, Miles Frost. So, so there's three MJs. 
because it's different time periods. But the main MJ is uh, portrayed by this phenomenal performer, Miles, Miles Frost. And he studied for three weeks with Michael Jackson's choreographers. Really? Yeah. He said that he learned more in those three weeks about dance in his entire life, his entire career. Like he, it's the closest thing to seeing Michael Jackson live. Like, and it's not just how he dances. It's the way he stands. It's the way he gestures, like everything. You're like, everything. Yeah. Oh my God. It's so good. It's really, really good. I cannot recommend it enough. If you're in New York, check it. Well, it's going on tour also. So if you, if it's coming to your town, fucking check that shit out. It's phenomenal. Nice. Okay. Yeah. That's probably one of the few musicals I can get behind. I think you'd enjoy it. I was actually thinking, I was like, I think Amy could watch this. Yes. You know, I said last episode that I don't like musicals, but I just like very specific kinds of musicals. Yeah. You're probably more of a jukebox musical person. Yeah. That like you already know, like are familiar with the music. Like that's like pop music or whatever. Yes. Or I appreciate like uh, comedic musicals a la um, Trey Stone and Matt Parker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Book of Mormon. Yes. Did you ever see that? No, I really want to. But I mean, I feel so many of their movies are technically like musicals, I would say. So yes, that's true. Yeah. I always kind of lump them in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. I haven't seen it either. I know it's terrible. I've never seen Book of Mormon. I feel like we discussed going to it at one point. Probably. Let's discuss it again. We should do that. (laughs) I'm on board. I'd be willing to shell out the cash for that. Yeah. And because it's been out forever now, it's like reasonable ticket prices and stuff. Yes, yes. Mm. And it's not, I'm sure, the original Broadway cast, obviously. No, no. No. No, that's that was like... Long, long gone. Yeah, yeah. Because that was like uh, Josh Gad and... Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I very much endure, so... Yeah, of course. A new Marvel show came out, but I'm not going to bore you with the details, maybe, so... <laughs> There's always a new Marvel show coming out. There's always a new Marvel show. It's really good. It was for one that I actually read some of the comics for, which I'm pretty pumped about. Mm. Oscar Isaac is in it. Uh, He's great. And he does a fucking great job. I love him so much. Yes. He does a fucking amazing job. And it's very, he kind of like has to play two very different types of characters. Is this one of those that you need to know a bunch of other shit to understand it? Actually, I don't think so at all. You could honestly go into this one blind and you'd probably be fine. Okay. Especially like where it starts, you don't really know what's going on. Mm -hmm. But it's very cool. It's very well done. You actually end up missing a lot of like what you would consider like the action of only one episode is out so far, the episode, but the way they do it is so fucking good that you don't even care. You're just like, oh, that's so trippy. And Mm. I love it. I love it so much. What platform is it on? Disney Plus. Ah, Because Disney owns all that shit now. That's right. Yep. Yeah. I know. I had to be reminded because I was like, wait, no, all the like Daredevil and Jessica Jones and shit is on Netflix. And Johnny was like, no, not anymore. They took it off. Disney has it. Disney owns it. Disney owns all of it. I'm like, okay. Disney owns everything. Disney owns everything. (laughs) Yes. Thank you, Disney. (laughs) I mean, I'm here for it. (laughs) I haven't been to Disney in years because of fucking coronavirus, but... Yeah, I mean, I haven't been, honestly, since I was a kid, I think. Mm, We got to go for food and wine, aka drink around the world. That's when you go. Big ball Epcot, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, you go... the, The ideal time to go is you go somewhere like around like September because the Magic Kingdom 
does the Mickey's Not So Scary Halloween. Oh. Which is a separate ticket. Of course it is. But it's the only time that adults are allowed to dress up, which is where like me, Donna, and Nellie always dress up. Is that that? That's cool. But and then it also coincides with food and wine. So you do both in the same Ooh. trip. Yeah. That's smart. That's good. Yeah. Also, I'm assuming this is not like a scary situation, like a la Halloween Horror Nights or anything like that. No, 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 no. Cool. Because I'm not about that. No, not at all. When you come in, they give you a bag and there's like little like trick-or-treating posts like set out throughout the the, the parks. And then you go and you get like, they give you candy and, and then they just have like performers like extra performers and stuff. Uh, like in front of uh, the Haunted Mansion, they have like ghost performers. It's a lot of fun. And here's the thing. I don't give a shit about a parade. I kind of feel like you've seen one, you've seen them all. But the parade they do for Mickey's Not So Scary Halloween Party is fucking incredible. It's so good. It's so good. And they're one of the sections of the parade. They have the people from... They're basically like the ushers from Haunted Mansion. They, yeah, from the Haunted Mansion. Thank you. Psychic Sisters. Okay, no, sorry. Girl. And they have shovels. Oh. And they like put down the shovel on, on the, you know, the pavement and they like spin it and it sparks. Like there's, it's so cool. You're like, oh, this is amazing. It's so great. And in Space Mountain, it's pitch black. Yes. They only make, they do it pitch black. It's, there's no stars. But for for Mickey's not so scary, they make it pitch black and then they put like spooky music while you're going through. It's a lot of fun. That sounds like so much fun. No, I'm down with that. It's so much fun. It's the best. That sounds awesome. Let's do that. Let's add that. We'll we'll do uh, Book of Mormon and we'll do a a Disney date. We have such ambitious plans for people who are really bad at following through with plans, I feel like. (laughs) Me more so than you. I, I, I can't really speak to your... You go do a lot of things and you have a lot of I do. trips and you do that. I am very much a, yeah, we're totally going to do that. And then I never do. See, because you need someone else to take the leap. <gasps> yes. Yes, I do. I got you. That I am the, <laughs> yeah. the introvert to end all introverts. And I for sure need someone to literally drag me out. Yeah. And be like, no, we're doing this. Like get dressed. Let's go. Like how you were like, I don't, I haven't dressed up for Halloween in years. And I was like, but you're gonna. And then you like broke Halloween. And then I did, uh, which reminds me, one of my finds at Alamo Draft House, because they also have, in addition to just all around amazing things, they have like mm-hmm. the best fucking gift shops. No, yeah, 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 totally. With like cool... Like movie shit, yeah. Movie shit. So I bought an alien puzzle, thousand piece puzzle, and I'm super fucking pumped about it. Yes. It looks like it's actually gonna be really hard because it's all kind of just like shades of blue. But Mm. I'm gonna hopefully start that at some point and we'll see how it goes. I'm into it. Oh yeah. I'm really excited. But yeah, they have great, great little gift shop type things at Alamo Draft House. Just Alamo Draft House is where the fuck it's at, man. Seriously. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All of it. Top to bottom. So good. It really is. I also went to, for the first time, the one in uh, the actual city, in Lower Manhattan. Oh, Fidei? Yeah. How's that one? Oh, great. That one was cool. Yeah. I liked it. I, the Brooklyn one, I don't know. I just, I kind of like it a little better. I feel like it's mm. a little bigger, and it's obviously way easier for me to get to. Yeah, of course. It's got the speakeasy. It does. It does. House of Wax, right? Yeah. Which was closed for a long time, but is now back open, I believe. Amazing. We did not go there last time, but we did see that it was taking patrons, as it were. 
Well, since we're talking about all sorts of spooky shit, do you got some spooky shit for us? I got some spooky shit for us. Yay. It's a little spooky. I love it. I mean, it's not too spooky because... It's like, it's a Amy's Not So Scary Halloween. Amy's Not So Scary (laughs) Halloween. It's an Amy hasn't had an alien story in a couple of weeks. I was waiting for it. (laughs) I mean, you knew it was coming. I literally like count. I'm like, okay, I can't do one like right after. So I got to like wait a few times. or like do some ghosts or like a cryptid or something. But we know where my heart's at. And it's, of course, in the fucking mothership. Let's do this. I love you so much. I love you. Okay. So today I am going to tell you about the aerial school UFO incident. And this is aerial, like the little mermaid aerial, not aerial, like something in the air. Got it. Which it's one of those things that I did not realize how similar those sounded until I started saying it out loud. And then I was like, oh no, you like can't tell the difference. Yeah, no, not at all. No. I feel like because I always said it Ariel as like a little kid. Ah. But it's Ariel. No, is it not? Yeah, it's Ariel. Yeah. This is button all over again, Monique. Don't get me started. (laughs) Don't get me fucking started. (laughs) All right. Sources. mg.co.za. And that is Mail and Guardian, which is Mm. a Zimbabwe uh, newspaper slash website. VanityFair.com, BBC.com, News24.com, RD.com, which Reader's Digest, Uh NCBI.NLM.NIH.gov, Skeptoid.com. And like, have you ever used like Google Sites where it's, I guess, like an archived old website that kind of doesn't exist anymore? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Google Sites and it's for Paranormal Zone X. Mm. bostonherald.com, wikipedia.com, inthesky.org, and barstoolsports.com. Ariel Primary School is a small private school located in Brua, a rural agricultural region approximately 3.5 miles southeast of Zimbabwe's capital, Harare. Although it seemed like it was in the middle of nowhere, the nearly 250 students who attended the school were generally from wealthy families who lived in the city and wanted to send their children someplace other in the more crowded urban schools. On the morning of September 16, 1994, around 10 o'clock, the children were led outside to play for their mid-morning break while the teachers had a staff meeting inside. There was only one adult supervising the children's recess that morning, Mrs. Kirkman, a physiotherapist and the mother of one of the children, stayed outside with them and had volunteered to run the tuck shop, which was a little shop that sold soft drinks, candies, and other snacks. Around 10.15, a number of children, some of them very upset, suddenly ran into the tuck shop to tell Mrs. Kirkman about the strange sight they had all just witnessed. Now, the details of the story do vary a bit, but the gist of it is pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. According to the children, they first saw several bright objects in the sky moving down towards the school. The children, being naturally curious, ran over to where it was heading to get a closer look and saw one of the objects land or hover about 100 meters outside the field where they were playing. Although it wasn't fenced off, the children knew they weren't allowed to leave the field and that the area where it had landed was off limits because there was always the possibility that there were snakes, spiders, and other wild animals hiding in the long grass, thorny bushes, gum trees, and thick undergrowth. The children described the object as a shiny metal-shaped disc and said that after it landed, they saw two pale beings about a meter tall with huge eyes shaped like rugby balls wearing one-piece black suits that looked like Mm. wetsuits exit the craft. Mm. One stood on top of the craft while the other was in front. Oh, shit. 
It seems as though once the beings noticed the children, they disappeared and the craft either flew away quickly or faded away. Although some of the younger children were basically in hysterics over what they had seen, yeah. Mrs. Kirkman was skeptical of the children's story and thought maybe they were just trying to get her out of the shop so they could get some treats. But the children insisted that they had seen something. And here's the thing. It wasn't just a couple of children who said they saw the bright disc and strange creatures. Apparently, 62 children ranging in ages from 5 to 12 claim to have seen at least the craft, if not both the craft and the beings. Holy shit. That's a fucking lot. Yes. After recess, when the children returned to class, many of them told their other teachers what they had seen. Again, like Mrs. Kirkman, it seems as though the teachers didn't really believe them and just tried to brush off the incident as a result of an overactive imagination. But when many of the children went home and told their parents, who then expressed concern to the school about what their children had seen, the faculty began to take the children's story more seriously. Hmm. Colin Mackey, which, (laughs) did I giggle when I realized he's Mr. Mackey? Yeah, I fucking (laughs) did. Colin Mackey, the headmaster at the aerial school, had the children draw pictures of what they had seen. I did hear a recent account from one of the children who is obviously now grown, but who attended the school at the time and claimed to have seen both the craft and the beings. And he said that they were all separated when they were asked to do the drawings. Yet when their drawings were compared with the other children's, they all depicted essentially the same thing. Mm. A disc-shaped craft and what we would recognize as one of the typical greys. That being said, I did read another source that said the children were not separated when asked to do the drawings, which would obviously make the striking similarities between them less noteworthy. Right. Word about the aerial school sighting got out quickly, which wasn't all that surprising since there had been reports of UFOs in the skies over other parts of Zimbabwe, as well as Zambia and South Africa two days before, and the area was currently experiencing a wave of UFO mania. Mm. A BBC television crew led by Tim Leach, the BBC's correspondent in Zimbabwe, visited the aerial school to investigate the children's incredible story. Leach asked the children if they were sure they hadn't just seen a Harrier jump jet or something else from the Zimbabwe Air Force, but the children said no, that it was clearly shaped like a disc. Mm. Quote, I saw the silver thing in amongst this clump of trees with this one thing sitting on the side and another thing sort of like running up and down the top. End quote. The children went on to describe the figures they'd seen standing on and around the craft. One girl said, quote, I thought it was an alien and he had big eyes, end quote. Hmm. Another girl said, quote, they had big black eyes. That's all I saw. I saw a glimpse. They kind of turned around and stared and then went back into a kind of ship, end quote. Another boy, when describing the creatures to Leech, outlined the shape of their face over his own, indicating that it was mostly round, but with a very pointed chin, and said that the eyes were here, pointing to his cheeks. Oh. When Leach interviewed the headmaster, Mackey said he believed that the children had seen something, but said he was reluctant to actually call what they had seen a UFO. Uh-huh. And the vibe was kind of more like, I believe they believe they saw something kind of thing. Yes. Leach's segment on the sighting at Ariel School also featured local UFO enthusiast. And I'm using this word, but I'm using it very informally. I do not mean it in any scientific sense whatsoever. Uh-huh. UFO researcher. Uh-huh. Because like, 
she's just into it and she yeah. questions people. She doesn't actually have, she's not putting the scientific method to this in any way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. Named Cynthia Hind, who had been the first person to visit the aerial school to look into the children's story. She examined the children's drawings and made photocopies of the 22 she thought were the clearest, many of which you can still find online. Now, I do feel the need to say I don't really know how credible a source this woman is. Mm -hmm. The only report I could find that she had written was an article that was published in her own UFO newsletter. And obviously she has a bias towards believing this is true. Right, of course. So I tried to take what she reported with a grain of salt. Mm -hmm. That being said, according to Hind, one of the students, a young girl, said to her, quote, I swear by every hair on my head and the whole Bible that I am telling the truth, end quote. Mm. Hind was supposedly the person who recommended that Tim Leach reach out to John E. Mack, a professor of psychiatry at Harvard, who was researching the phenomenon of reported alien abductions. So Leach called Mack's office, telling him not only about the aerial school sighting, but also about several other UFO sightings that had happened in the days leading up to it. Mm. Leach's BBC segment also included interviews with some of the locals who had seen strange lights in the sky two days before Ariel. After talking to Leach, Mac and his research partner flew to Zimbabwe to interview the children and investigate their claims. Two months after the incident, in November 1994, Mac visited the school and filmed interviews with some of the children. Of the 62 students who supposedly witnessed the incident, Mac only filmed interviews with around 12 most of whom were the older students who they felt were more credible witnesses. Yeah. The children told Mac on tape that the beings had large heads, two holes for nostrils, a slit for a mouth or no mouth at all, and long black hair, and described them as dressed in dark single-piece suits. Mm. Now, according to Mac, the children also reported that they were warned by the beings, quote, about something that's going to happen, end quote. One little girl said, quote, what I thought was maybe the world's going to end. They were telling us the world's going to end, end quote. What the fuck? Yes. A fifth grader named Francis told Mac that the beings warned that, quote, pollution mustn't be, end quote. Mm. When Mac asked how the beings communicated with them, one student said, quote, I don't even know. It just popped up in my head. Mm. He never said anything. He talked just with his eyes. Mm. It was just the face and the eyes. They looked horrible, end quote. But as Brian Dunning from Skeptoid points out, these telepathic, environmentally conscious messages were not previously mentioned in any of the children's interviews and seemed to be a recent development. Mm. And Mac, in addition to being an alien visitation advocate, was also an anti-nuclear and environmental activist. Mm. I will say none of the clips I saw on Leach's interviews with the children mentioned any telepathic communication. And according to Dunning, even Hines' initial report didn't mention it, though she apparently went on to include it in her report after Matt conducted his interviews two months after the incident. Mm. So take it with a grain of salt. Another quick note on Mac. Although he was a Pulitzer Prize-winning author, he wrote Lawrence of Arabia, Mm. and a tenured professor of psychiatry, in 1994, Harvard appointed an official committee to review Mack's clinical care and investigation of the people who had shared their alien encounters with him. Hmm. The committee accused him of failing to do systematic evaluations to rule out psychiatric disorders, Mm. putting, quote, persistent pressure, end quote, on his experiencers 
to convince them that they had actually been abducted by aliens Mm. and preventing them from obtaining the help they really needed. Yikes. Yeah, that's not a cute book. And apparently this was also the first time that Harvard ever like launched an investigation into a tenured professor. So yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Woof. So I just like an FYI. Yeah, it's an important FYI. I felt it needed to be said. Mm -hmm. Mac obviously denied the allegations, but one of Mac's peers, Paul McHugh of Johns Hopkins Medical School, said that Mac was, quote, a brilliant fellow who occasionally loses it. And this time he's lost it big time, end quote, which damn, that was published in the LA Times. Like he fucking said some shit. Damn, Gina. Woo. But after 14 months of inquiry, Harvard issued a statement stating that the dean had, quote, reaffirmed Dr. Mack's academic freedom to study what he wishes and to state his opinions without impediment, end quote. Mm. But also cautioned him to, quote, not in any way to violate the high standards for the conduct of clinical practice and clinical investigation that have been the hallmarks of this faculty, end quote. Yeah, of course. Yes. So basically like study what you want, but also like you need to actually do your research and be a scientist. Thanks. Which is fair. Yeah. Thank you. It's Harvard. They take their shit seriously. Yeah. So time for a little obligatory devil's advocate. Mm -hmm. Because despite the relatively large number of witnesses in this incident and the apparent consistencies between their stories, it must be stated that no one really properly interviewed these children. Mm. Not Leach, not Mac not hind. In an event with multiple witnesses to corroborate their stories, they should have been interviewed separately and their accounts compared after the fact. But the children were always interviewed in groups and could obviously hear what the others were saying. Right. So every child's version of events was cross-contaminated with all the others. Mm. So it's not really surprising that all the children told the exact same story. Right. Dunning also points out that while 62 reported seeing the craft, there were just under 200 children who reported that they hadn't seen anything. Mm -hmm. They were all apparently outside that day. And sure, it's a big field. You get distracted. You're not paying attention. But the majority of them didn't see anything. Mm -hmm. As for the drawings, which they may or may not have been separated for, they all depicted the stereotypical flying saucer. While Hind in particular liked to portray the witnesses as rural African children who wouldn't have had exposure to modern media and thus wouldn't have been familiar with the concept of UFOs and alien visitors, that is very likely not the case. Mm. It's 1994, and these were children from wealthy families who lived in Zimbabwe's capital. They would have had just as much exposure to the world's movies and TV shows as people in every other modern city around the world. Right. There was Also, a very good chance that the students would have heard about the wave of UFO mania that had been featured in the news ever since the fireball in the sky two nights prior to their September 19th incident. Mm -hmm. As for the fireball in the sky, astronomers across the region reported that the pyrotechnic display had actually been a meteor shower. But according to skeptic Brian Dunning, the fireball, quote, had actually been the reentry of the Zenit 2 rocket from the Cosmos 2290 satellite launch, end quote. Mm. The booster broke up into burning streaks as it moved silently across the sky, giving an impressive light show to millions of Africans. So to address both of these and kind of obligatory devil's advocate, <laughs> my obligatory devil's advocate, according to NASA's website, the launch date for the Cosmos 2290 satellite was August 26th. 1994, which I'm not sure how long it takes for the rocket to re-enter after launch. And I couldn't really find the answer, Uh but I would assume it's probably way less than 22 days, right? 
like it's the rocket that just gets the satellite up there and then it like comes back down. I would think so, but also I'm not a scientist. I don't know. If anyone knows this information, let me know. I actually know someone who works for NASA. I'll, I'll hit him up. Do you? Of course you do. That's fucking, <laughs> that's so hot, Monique. Oh, girl. I don't work for NASA. I know someone who does. That's not, that's a very different situation. I'm here for it. It would be hot if I worked for NASA. It would. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I just get paid to pretend to be other people. That's it. (laughs) And one day you might get paid to... Pretend like I work for NASA? Pretend like you work at NASA. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Maybe. Yeah. Boom. As for the meteor shower theory, there was a Perseid meteor shower active in 1994 from the 5th of September to the 21st of September, and it would have been visible from Harare, the capital where they were. Mm -hmm. It wasn't supposed to be super big during that time. Like it was kind of fading out towards the end of it, but Mm -hmm. it was happening. It was visible. Yes. The most common theory to explain the children's experience, however, is that the whole thing was just an example of mass hysteria, which is the term used to describe a social phenomenon in which various people all suffer from a similar symptom or set of symptoms for which there seems to be no physical explanation. Mass hysteria typically begins when an individual becomes ill or hysterical during a period of stress, and after they begin showing symptoms, others begin to display similar symptoms. Symptoms can include abdominal pains, chest tightness, dizziness, fainting, headaches, hyperventilation, nausea, vomiting, palpitations, anxiety, conversion disorder, and screaming. Oh my. I know. I feel like I'm reading a fucking drug ad on TV right now. (laughs) Mass hysteria typically occurs among the otherwise healthy people who suddenly believe they have been made ill by some external factor. It spreads by sight and or sound and occurs most frequently among adolescents or pre-adolescents. Symptoms often follow an environmental trigger, spread rapidly by audiovisual cues, and are often aggravated by a prominent emergency or media response. According to the National Institutes of Health and the Malawi Medical Journal, mass hysteria episodes are surprisingly common in African schools. Oh. Yes. And like, I read quite a few, Kate. There's like kind of a lot, honestly. Oh, shit. Yeah. I mean, there's a thing that I've read and and it could just be to, because people just really need the alien thing to be real. That could be the devil's advocate, the obligatory devil's advocate thing of it. But I have read a lot about how sightings will manifest differently to different people. Yes. It'll be like three people will like see a thing and they'll all describe something completely different, but they were all looking at quote unquote the same thing. That's right. Yes. That is very true. So, so I've, read that there's a, that that's a thing, AKA why there was 200 people there, 200 kids there, and only 62 of them saw this thing. Yes. And why their accounts varied. Yes. In, yes, their details. Mm -hmm. Um, They actually do kind of make a mention of this because apparently the demographic of this school, while originally primarily was white children, was pretty well balanced. Uh And it was interesting to Leach and Hind and Mac and everyone who re- who interviewed them, how their like cultural differences kind of shaped how they saw this whole thing. Mm. It was like, so some of the kids saw them as like, I didn't include it in here, so I don't remember the name of it, but it was like these little kind of like goblin type uh-huh. mythological creatures of yeah. that region. And they like were convinced they were going to get eaten by them because that's oh. what those creatures do. So that is interesting that you bring that up because it definitely does shape 
how you relate the details of your experience for sure. Yeah, for sure. So I do get that. Mm -hmm. But I like kind of have to admit that like it does seem like this checks a lot of the mass hysteria boxes. Like I will give it that. Yeah. However, as far as I can tell in the 27 years since the incident occurred, none of the witnesses in the aerial school sighting ever recanted their stories. Mm. While some of them refused to talk about it after the fact, I can't find any record of even one of them coming out and saying that they had made the whole thing up. Mm. And there are definitely still witnesses that stand by what they saw that day, despite the hardship and ridicule the incident has brought to their lives. Mm. In 2008, American filmmaker Randall Nickerson was commissioned by the Johnny Mac Institute to make a documentary about the aerial school incident that would incorporate the interview footage shot in 1994 with follow-up material shot in the present. Mm. Wanting to approach the subject as scientifically as possible, Nickerson began tracking down the children, now young adults, to interview them about the experience. According to Nickerson, quote, their stories have not changed at all. They were affected profoundly, end quote. Mm. While the project eventually ran into some financial difficulties and the documentary was never finished, Two hours of footage tagged with Nickerson's name surfaced on YouTube in late 2013. Mm. Some of the interviews Nickerson conducted with former students were included with the footage. One said, quote, it really does stick with me that something happened. Something was out there, end quote. Mm. In 2014, Sean Christie of Mail and Guardian, a South African weekly newspaper and website, tracked down one of the aerial school experiencers for an article and eventually talked to one of the former students whose name was changed to Sarah for the article. Sarah said, quote, it happened, okay? 62 kids between the ages of about six and 12 saw the aliens land and get out of their little ships, end quote. Hmm. While skeptics believed the telepathic environmental messages were actually suggested to the children by Mac after the fact, Sarah still mentioned them in her interview saying, quote, they weren't wrong though about the environmental shit, were they? Mm. If you go out there now, you'll see the Miambo forests have disappeared for firewood, end quote. And in 2016, witness Emily Trim exhibited paintings that she described as a quote, manifestation of the messages she received, quote, from the beings that day. Mm. Sarah went on to say, quote, you want to know the real message here? The real message is that the stuff can brand you for life. It undermined Mac's credibility, became this mm. huge, unending thing for others, and it certainly fucked me up. Mm. I mean, try telling people that you live in permanent fear of these things returning one day. Try telling them that you can actually sense when they're back in our atmosphere. Ugh. They'll think you're a kook, end quote. Mm. And apparently this whole interview is like taking place in a bar and like in the article, it describes like the attitude of the bar patrons, which is one, this girl is a regular and they're like, oh my God, no. Here Are you talking about again. the aliens again? Yes. Right. And then she's just like, yeah, they all think I'm fucking crazy, but like, I don't fucking give a shit. Like I fucking know. Yeah. Other witnesses of the incident were also interviewed for the 2020 documentary, The Phenomenon, and spoke about how the experience has affected them. And again, no one took it back. Everyone just says the same fucking thing and stands by this fucking story, which I think is pretty fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. Finally, in June 2021, Barstool sports writer and former aerial school student Za spoke in an interview about his experience that day when he was just five, saying that he saw a bright light come down from the sky and aliens exit it. He said he was not one of the students interviewed in either Leach's or Mac's reports as they tried to rely on the older student's testimony since they believed they were more reliable witnesses. Mm -hmm. But 
whether you believe this whole thing was just a big case of mass hysteria or the work of a bunch of kids' overactive imaginations, there are still 62 people out there who claim to have seen the same strange beings and unidentified craft, and not a single one of them has ever taken it back. Hmm. And that is the story of the aerial school UFO sighting. Wow. That's nuts. Girl, it is nuts. And I got deeper into this than I thought I would because in most of the sources I read, it was covered as like very cut and dry. Like this is mass hysteria. This is overactive imagination. Oh no. No, like really not that part of it. It was really just like, yeah, they saw something. They interviewed all the children, all the drawings were like so similar, all the Mm. things. And then it was like, the more I looked into it, the more the paint started to peel. Yeah. And it didn't feel as credible as it did when I originally read about it. So hence my including of a lot of obligatory devil's advocate situation. Yeah. So where do you land on it? What do you think? I don't know. Okay. So I did watch like a bunch of the interviews with the kids and like, Mm -hmm. no offense, like kids aren't usually the best flyers. You can pretty much tell they're like, they're not trained in this. Right. No offense. Right. They all seem pretty fucking genuine. They don't seem like they're really making up a story. Mm -hmm. Like when you watch them describing it, you watch their eye motions. They're like very just like, this is what it looked like. They're like, this is what the eyes looked like. I don't think, but like also I know how malleable kids are and how susceptible to things. And I do feel like if you planted the right seeds you would believe something that did not happen to you 100%. Yeah, yeah. Even adults are malleable like that. Like, yeah, you of course. Can, we've convinced people to confess to fucking murders they haven't committed. Yeah. Just with, like, leading questions and shit. Yeah. So I'm kind of on the fence about this one. Hmm. But you know me. I always want to lean towards yeah. the, <laughs> yeah. these people know what the fuck they saw. Why would they make this up? It's literally, like, ruined lives. Yeah. Like, I couldn't find the source again, but in, like, my preliminary research for this, I read a story where the, like, the kids were bullied so badly after this. Uh, And it was like, I got the shit beat out of me in middle school. Like, why would I ever lie about this? Like, if I didn't take it back then when I was, like, getting my ass kicked every day for it, for being a fucking alien weirdo, like, he's like, I know what I saw. That's the thing that I always come back to is, like, you know, these people, it, like, fucks up their life fucks up their lives. They're like traumatized forever. Yeah. And like people are like, this fucking, yeah. Like it just, they don't want to leave the house. They like, and you see that consistently throughout these like alien experience stories of people just like, they're not like selling books and flushed in cash. They're just like fucked up forever. Yes. Yes. And like, I don't, I guess like it could have been like the the media hoopla around it and like getting interviewed and that like ramped it up and made it very exciting as a kid. And then they didn't realize like how it would affect them down the line. But again, like, Mm -hmm. I feel like if somebody had straight up come out and been like, no, we like made it up. I'm going to call us out. I'm going to be the person. Right. Like, I feel like I would have found that article pretty quickly, pretty easily. And I did not find anything where anyone really took it back. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So make your own decisions. It's hard because it's one of those things like on the one hand, you're like, these children wouldn't lie. They're like innocent, pure little babies. They know what they saw. But then it's like, 
kids. But they're also like kind of dumb. They're kids. Yeah. Like you can fucking tell them shit all the time. They think Santa Claus is real. It's like fucking (laughs) really. Yeah. So I will leave it up to you guys to decide, but there's the information. Do with it what you will. Where do you fall on it? You want to believe it? I don't know. I don't know where I fall on it because like I said, there is that thing of like, you know, none of them have recanted and it fucks up your life. Fucks and up it, your life. You know, this is what, 1994, you said? Yep. That's like almost 30 years ago. Yeah. And they're not, they're not bending on it. They're like, this fucking happened. And then it's the thing of like, kids are very susceptible to things. Yeah. And it's very easy for them to have memories, quote unquote, like implanted in them by suggestion. Yes. Yes. And you don't know. And like things like interrogating children is is a very delicate thing because they just kind of want to give you the right answer. So if you're like, you can tell me, you can tell me, you can tell me, and like nothing happened. Although it doesn't seem like that. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's tough. It's tough. And it's tough if this did happen and they're not being believed because they were children. That fucking sucks. Yeah. I don't know. I know. I mean, it just seems like like what we always come back to, like at minimum, they believe they saw the thing. Yes. There you go. Yeah. 62 witnesses though. Like that's just... That's crazy. That's so crazy. That is crazy. And fascinating. I've never heard that story. Yeah, I thought so. I thought it was very interesting. Mm-hmm. You know me, I love like a sighting where there's a bunch of fucking people. Yeah. Yeah. And this was like middle of the day, super bright out sighting too. Yeah. That's extra interesting too, because it's usually at night. It's usually at night. Anyway, speaking of crazy, Monique. Yeah. You got some crazy ass true crime for me? I do. I'm going to say that Amy's story last week was (laughs) deeply upsetting (laughs) to me. (laughs) I apologize like so many times listening back to it. I was like, is this me apologizing again? Yep. Yep, it is. It's deeply upsetting. One more time for everyone. I'm really sorry. Monique especially. Uh. (laughs) So this is my response to Amy's story. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a paper that has fuck you printed on it. (laughs) (laughs) It's just zeros and zeros and ones of a middle finger. This is what it is. (laughs) So yeah, this is my response to Amy's story. (gasps) I love it. I wouldn't even judge that. (laughs) I'd be like, yeah, that's about right. So we're going to talk about Jessica Maple. Sources, FultonCountyGA.gov, Fox5Atlanta.com, Cracked.com, AJC.com, which is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, CNN.com, LinkedIn.com, and The Criminal Podcast. In 2011, Jessica Maple was a 12-year-old girl who was just finishing up sixth grade at Sandtown Middle School. The inquisitive straight-A student from Atlanta participated in the Atlanta Urban Debate League and had dreams of becoming an anthropologist. As summer was approaching, Jessica and her mother Stephanie started making plans for her summer, namely, which camp Jessica would attend. Jessica had her sights set on policy debate camp. 12 years old, this is me and her are not the same person. No, I wanted to ride horses. <laughs> like, I wanted to go to horseback Swimming or camp. some shit. She wanted to go to policy debate camp. But Stephanie had received an email from her daughter's school about the Fulton County Junior District Attorney Camp. The youth program is a crime prevention and educational program designed to provide rising 6th through ninth grade students with an overview of the criminal justice system. 
Junior district attorney activities include observing trial preparation, viewing court proceedings, and taking trips to the Georgia Supreme Court, the Capitol, and various law enforcement agencies. At the end of the program, junior district attorneys have a graduation ceremony and reception where the students are congratulated with a special DA badge. The program only admits 25 students a year. Stephanie submitted her daughter's application and the star student was quickly accepted into the program. But Jessica was less than enthused about it. She wasn't interested in the criminal justice system. She wanted to go to debate camp, and the preteen couldn't understand why her mother thought the junior DA program would be anything like policy debate camp. She told her mother she didn't want to go, but anyone who has ever been a 12-year-old and told their mom they didn't want to do something knows what Stephanie's response is going to be. Too bad. It's not like your kid's trying to go to some fuck-off camp. Like, they want to go do... Like their passion, which is like a cool, nerdy thing to want to do. Like, I would be supporting this wholeheartedly. Why are you making your kid unhappy? I don't know. But she's like, you're going to fucking <laughs> too bad. So that summer, Jessica went to the junior DA program. On their first day, the 25 students were given their uniform, khaki pants, white polos, and a giant oversized blazer with a police badge. Jessica remembers the DA at the time, Paul Howard, came in with some other attorneys he worked with to speak with them. When Paul Howard took office in 1997, he was the first African-American district attorney in Georgia's history, which, yay, but also 1997, get it the fuck together, Georgia. What the fuck? Right? Paul Howard started the junior DA program 13 years earlier and had led the course for Atlanta's middle school students, where they spent their days at police stations and observing criminal trials, and all students had to abide by the junior DA creed. While Jessica initially didn't want to go to the camp, she quickly took to it like a duck to water. She said, quote, I've always just naturally been curious, like I've been a natural investigator my entire life, end quote. Whenever Stephanie picked up her daughter from her weekly meetings, she would always ask her who she met and what she had learned at camp that day. But Jessica remembers there was one day when her mother picked her up that was different. Stephanie hadn't inquired about her daughter's day and was visibly upset. When Jessica asked her mother what was wrong, she told her that someone had broken into her grandmother's, Jessica's great-grandmother's house, and stolen a lot of things. While Jessica's great-grandmother had passed a few years earlier, the family had kept the house and left it exactly as the deceased matriarch had left it. In addition to being her grandmother's house, Stephanie had also grown up in that house. Jessica said, quote, It just was really upsetting to her because it's just, having someone invade a space that's special to you is very emotional. End quote. The two drove two and a half hours down to the small town of Fitzgerald with Jessica's younger brother to look at the house and assess the losses and filed the police report. When they went to the house, they were shocked by what they saw. The burglars had basically taken everything. They stole the living room set, the dining room set, the bedroom sets, the washer and dryer, the oven, the record console, even all the crystal vases. These motherfuckers had a moving van. Like, how the fuck would you do this? Dude. Yeah. Jessica said, quote, it just looked like somebody came in and moved out. Yeah. End quote. Like, they fucking took everything in the house. When the police officer arrived at the crime scene, he offered little help or comfort. He told them that the odds of finding the person or people who had done this was very low. And given that there were no force points of entry, the perpetrator had to have a key to remove all of the large items. Jessica thought this was impossible because the only people who had keys to her great-grandmother's home were her parents, and obviously they hadn't ransacked the place. But the police officer was insistent, asking if they had given a copy of the key to anyone, to which they said no. 
The cop went through the motions, but it was pretty clear he didn't give a shit about this robbery, took down the details, and fucked off. Hmm. Jessica and Stephanie stayed behind and gave everything another look. And Jessica was pissed. She thought to herself, how can there be no force points of entry? So the 12-year-old walked around the side of the house to the garage and quickly found shattered glass from a recently broken garage door and three tiny fingerprints on the garage door windows. Jessica had learned at camp that fingerprints can be used as evidence. She told her mother they could take this to the Georgia Bureau of Investigation and find out who the perpetrator was. Stephanie called the police and asked them to come back and look at the evidence her daughter found. I'm like obsessed with this little girl. Girl, you're not fucking ready. You're not fucking ready. Ah! You're not ready. Oh my God, little junior detective. I fucking love this. While the officers arrived with egg on their faces, they made sure to immediately rain on Jessica's parade. They told her that three fingerprints wasn't enough evidence, that they needed at least seven fingerprints. What? Which is bullshit. Since fucking when? It's bullshit. Literal bullshit. They fucking pulled one fingerprint. They pulled like half prints all the fucking time and matched them. What are you fucking talking about? Yes. These people just don't want to do their goddamn job. No, these people are fucking butthurt because this little girl is showing them the fuck up and been like, hi, can you do your jobs actually? Like I've only been in your camp for like a week, but I'm still like nailing it. Yes. Yeah, thanks. So they said they need at least seven fingerprints, which is bullshit. And that the process of running the prints was going to take entirely too long anyway. Thanks for the tax dollars and fuck you very much. I'm sorry. So we just like are not going to process fingerprints at a crime scene because it's going to take too long? I'm sorry, what? So here's the thing. This is Atlanta and Jessica and her family are African-American. I don't know what demographic the police officer is. I gotcha. Okay. But I think it's important to note. Yeah, definitely could have been a contributing factor. Yes. Yes. So Jessica immediately puts together that the police don't give a shit and aren't going to help her. So she was going to have to solve this crime herself. She said, quote, I was just like, okay, I have the tools and the knowledge on how to solve this crime. So now we're going to investigate this and figure out who did this because I'm pretty unhappy. My mother was upset. My dad's upset. And I just want to get to the bottom of this, end quote. And she told her mother as much. She said, quote, hey, mom, I'm going to figure this out and we're going to figure out who did this because justice needs to be served, end quote. 12 mother fucking years old, obsessed. This little girl is such a fucking badass. I like cannot handle this for one second. I was not this kid at all. No, I can't. Not for one fucking second. No. Mm-mm. And as the story continues, it's going to be glaringly obvious how much I was not this kid. How much I'm not this adult. Facts. Facts. So Jessica began her investigation. She went around the house and made a checklist of everything that had been stolen and cross-referenced it with her memory and family photos that had been taken at the house. When she was done with that, she thought about the next logical step. This was 2011. The economy wasn't doing great. It was unlikely that the burglars needed a dining room set. They needed money. So Jessica told her mom that they should check out the local pawn shops for any possible leads. Fitzgerald is a small town with a population of just over 9,000. There are only three pawn shops in the whole town, and one of them just happened to be on the same street as her grandmother's house. They did not. So she suggested to her (laughs) mother that they start there. And Stephanie is super the fuck on board. Also, Stephanie is not my mother at the fuck all. Stephanie is super the fuck on board. She's like, 
You've been going to this junior DA camp. You have these skills. You know what time it is. So I'm just going to listen to you and follow your lead. I love this so much. I'm here for all of us. Yes. So the two go to the pawn shop. And as soon as they walk in, they see their grandmother's living room set. And Stephanie takes out her her childhood photos of her in front of the grandmother's couch to be certain. And sure enough, it is the exact same set. The owner of the shop came over to them and asked if they needed any help, to which Jessica replied, quote, yes, sir. In fact, I do. End quote. Jessica asked the owner of the shop to tell her everything he knew about the set. And he told her that two men who had frequented the shop had taken it off the truck and brought it in. The precocious preteen asked to see the photocopies of the two men's IDs as a standard practice to get your ID scanned and copied whenever you bring anything to a pawn shop. Oh, shit. Girl. This bitch. I cannot. She's 100% that bitch. Like, I'm so obsessed. I can't handle it. I'm like giddy right now. 10,000%. When he asked why, Jessica informed him that the living room set as well as several other items that were in his shop, had actually recently been stolen from her grandmother's house. That's right. The burglars had brought every item that they stole into the same shop. They didn't even, like, diversify that shit or anything. And it's right down the fucking street? Like, seriously. Do better. Like, commit crimes better if you're going to commit crimes. Like, don't be stupid about this. This is so dumb. It's so dumb. And Jessica's a bamf. Jessica's a bamf. She's fucking bamf. So the owner was super cooperative and quickly came back with the two men's forms, which included scans of the suspect's IDs. Jessica and Stephanie immediately drove to the police station with the scans in hand. She went to the investigator assigned to the case, told him what she had done, handed him the photocopies of the IDs of the two suspects, and told him, quote, I did your job again, end quote. Burn! (laughs) Fucking burn! Dude! Savage. This little girl is my fucking hero right now. Dude, absolutely. She told him that since she had given him their information, they could finally go and arrest the perpetrators. And the investigator once again attempted to take the wind out of Jessica's sails, telling her that it wasn't quite that simple. They couldn't just arrest these men because a 12-year-old told them to. They had to do their own investigation. Jessica thought that was all fine and good. They could continue with their investigation, and she could continue with hers. I love this so much. I like can't handle it. I can't handle it. She had the names and addresses of the men who had pawned her grandmother's furniture. One day, Stephanie and Jessica were driving to Walmart when Jessica realized they were close to the address of one of the suspects. She asked her mother if they could swing by to see if anyone was around. They drove by the house and saw a young man sitting on the porch with who she assumed was his mother. She told her mom that the man looked just like the one in the ID and asked her to stop the car. And Jessica didn't hesitate. She jumped out of that car and walked to the house to confront the 17-year-old with her mother by her side. Also, don't do this. Like, this is nuts. Don't fucking do this. I was going to say, this is where the parenting should have come in. And we should be like, no, we actually have to leave it to the police. Now we're not like, we're not going to a criminal's house. Sorry. Also, Stephanie's like, the police aren't doing dick. Yeah, I get it. My daughter's nailing it. I would just be like, what if they have a gun? Like, For sure. Of course. Of course. Yeah. She introduced herself to the two and told the man that he looked very familiar. The teenager was confused, but Jessica insisted he looked familiar. She then pulled out the sheet from the pawn shop that had a copy of his ID on it. And she goes into full interrogation mode. She asks if this is his ID. He says yes. She asks if he knows her grandmother's house. And granted, all this is happening in front of the dude's mother who's like, who the fuck are you? What the fuck is going on? Like, what the fuck is happening? Oh, snap. Dude, 
when the man says he is familiar with her grandmother's house, Jessica's basically like, oh, really? That's interesting. Did you take furniture from that house and take it to this particular pawn shop? And while he initially tries to deny it, Jessica has him dead to rights. She has his name and a copy of his ID on the pawn shop form, along with a list of all the items they pawned, which just so happened to match up with the items stolen from her grandmother's house. Jessica asks him why he did it, and he said he didn't know and immediately confesses. This girl. I like can't handle it. Not for one second. Is so amazing. I can't handle it. So amazing. So Jessica and Stephanie drive to the police station again and get a hold of the investigator on their case again. And they inform him that not only had she found the suspect, but that she had obtained a confession from him. And because Jessica is a Banff, she got the pawn shop owner to agree to return all of her grandmother's items. When the 12-year-old was asked if she was scared when she confronted the suspect, she said, quote, I wasn't scared at all. I used some things I learned in Girl Scouts like courage to talk to him, end quote. Oh my God. I know. I can't handle this for one fucking second. This little girl is like goals for my adulthood. I just like, no. For sure. Yes. The following Monday at camp, the kids were asked to describe one way the junior DA program had been helpful in their real lives. And clearly, no one was ready for HBIC Jessica's response. And again, again, I cannot overstate this. She's 12. Yeah. She's 12 years old. I was playing with Barbies. I was not solving crime. I'm not solving crime now. And I'm 30 fucking seven. (laughs) This chick is a fucking bamf, okay? District Attorney Howard said of Jessica, quote, it was incredible. She was so bright and such a great personality. I'm sure the police are probably a little embarrassed, end quote. It wasn't long before Jessica's incredible story of bamfness made national news with her being interviewed on ABC News, Prime News, and even Nancy Grace with District Attorney Howard by her side. What? Yes, girl. Okay, shit. And it's very funny because, you know, Nancy Grace is a brand. Everything's a brand, obviously. But in all of her interviews... She's very like bubbly and laughs a lot and just like really sweet. Even in the criminal, uh, the criminal podcast, that was like two years ago. So she's an adult and, and she's like the same. But in the Nancy Grace <laughs> thing, it's all like it's a very like serious, like I'm not fucking around. It's it's very much on the Nancy Grace brand that you could tell that they were like, you have to like, yes, be serious and not no smiling, none of that shit, no giggling. Nancy Grace, what a vibe. You know, people like her. Eh, I don't. Pass. Yeah, same. That's that's a hard pass. Yeah, that's a hard pass for me. Despite all the evidence, it took a few months for arrest to be made because Fitzgerald is in a different county and therefore out of District Attorney Howard's jurisdiction. But arrests were eventually made. I can't find any information on that or the identities of the perpetrators, which I'm guessing is because they were minors. Minors. So, but I do know that they were arrested eventually. After all was said and done, Jessica said her mother told her that she knew sending her daughter to junior DA camp was a great idea. And while Jessica wasn't initially thrilled to go, she agreed. Jessica wrote an essay about her role in helping solve the burglary in Fitzgerald and spoke at the junior DA graduation at the end of July, 2011. DA Howard said, quote, these young people are a testament to what is good about our youth. Jessica showed initiative and zeal and in the process, helped to create a better society by assisting police in their quest to get two criminals off the street. Her future is bright, end quote. Fulton County proclaimed a day in September 2011, Jessica Maple Day. 
She attended Westlake High School, and in February 2014, Jessica was awarded first place at States by the Georgia Technological Student Association for debating technological issues, where she wrote and presented a speech that described the current ethical issues in technology and proposed associated solutions. She graduated from Westlake High School with a GPA of 3.9. She attended Georgia State University, where she received a Bachelor of Science in Computer Science. These days, Jessica is a support engineer and AI researcher for the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Damn, girl. I mean, she obviously had a bright future ahead of her. Like, she's fucking solving crimes at 12. Like, she wasn't going to fucking just be like, all right, I'm good. I, like, nailed my life. I'm just going to, like, go fucking. Mm -hmm. And if anyone has a kid that is in sixth to ninth grade and lives in Atlanta or Fulton County and is interested in submitting their child to the junior DA program, you can find the application at fultoncountyga.gov and the deadline to submit is June 18th. And that is the incredible story of incredible human being, Jessica Maple. Also my response to Amy's story last week. (laughs) Jessica, that was a great response to my story. And I definitely needed that this week. I'm just so impressed and I just feel so inadequate now. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. She's like amazing. I just like, my favorite part, honestly, was when she was like, I did your job for you again. Yeah. Hi, I did your job for you again. So like, could you just arrest them? And they were like, actually, we can't do that. It's like, fine. I guess I have to do everything. I am so obsessed with this story. And it's funny because I was doing another story initially, as always happens. And then I you know how like when you obviously when you look at an article there's links to like other articles of like oh you might like this thing so I clicked that and I was like wait what I'm like no scrap that story the story's happening I'm so here for this story and it was a thing like I found her on LinkedIn and I was like I don't know if this is her because also like I have pictures of her when she's 12 now she's you know 20 something yeah yeah she's like 23 and I was like ah I don't know I don't know if this is her and then going through her LinkedIn, I saw that Fulton County, like one of, the, one of the awards listed is like Fulton County Proclamation of Jessica Maple Day. I'm like, oh my God, this is her. Oh my God, oh my God. Oh my God, this is her. It's her. It's her. She's just nailing her fucking life, man. Get it. Dude, I fucking love that so much. And I guess like kudos to the mom for putting her in that program after all. Like, I don't know what like prompted that, but she fucking nailed it. Correct. That was the correct series of events to occur. Yeah. So yeah, I thought we needed a a little, a, a, a pick-me-up after last week. We did. <laughs> we did need a pick-me-up after last week. For sure. Thank you for providing us that pick-me-up because I was definitely not going to do it. I was definitely going to upset everyone yes. with necrophilia <laughs> and vampirism. So cool. Cool, cool, cool. Cash, you know, cute and cash. Cash. Thanks so much to everyone for listening. Amy, thank you for your story. I feel like that one's going to stick with me for a bit. I'm going to, it's going to be like thinking about it a lot. Right? Same. Thank you for your story. That is definitely going to stick with me. Maybe will help me, help motivate me to get my, get my shit in order. Probably not. (laughs) You know, it's the hope is there. One can hope. If you don't follow us already on the gram, you should. You can follow the show, which is another fucking horror podcast at another fucking horror podcast. You can find me at Pin Up Girl Mo. You can find me at Lobotomy, and that's Lobot period Amy. Every sixth episode, and it's coming up, we do a True Listener Tales episode where we read your crazy stories. So if you have one or you just want to say hi, you can email us at another fucking horror podcast at gmail.com with a period instead of the you and fucking. Thanks so much for everything. We're so obsessed with you. Keep it cute. Keep it creepy. Bye. Bye.